Hi, welcome to Off the Charts. This is Andy Smith, your host. I'm here with Emily Weber, our producer. Today we have a very interesting, slightly different uh, guest than we usually have. Usually we talk to uh, doctors or nurses or other medical professionals. This time we're actually talking to a former journalist, although I, I guess former is not yes, quite the right word. Still. Uh, his name is Mike Vitez, and he, for the past six months, has been the Director of Narrative Medicine at the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University, uh, which is in Philadelphia. And Mike has been a journalist all his life, uh, and he's well, very well known as a storyteller. Um, and a Pulitzer Prize winner. And a Pulitzer Prize winner, <laughs> so a little intimidating. <laughs> So Mike, you know, left the Philadelphia Inquirer, I guess about a year ago, maybe, I'm not sure exactly, and ended up at Temple uh, in a totally new position that didn't exist before, and a position that I think a lot of people kind of scratch their head and say, what's a director of narrative medicine? I remember when you first told me about it, and you described it as your dream job. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's so close to what you do, except he just gets to pick He gets to, yeah, he, and he gets paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he admits, he says, yeah, I fell into this. <laughs> yeah. And he admits also that he's still figuring it out himself. But what's so interesting is, I mean, the guy has decades of stories. That's what he has done as a journalist, you know, and, and they're not all healthcare stories, but, you know, a decent amount of them have been. And he just finds sometimes the most ordinary person and comes up with the most extraordinary story about mm-hmm. their life. And he tells us some of those stories today. Yeah, I can't even begin to talk about them. I just have to tune in. And yeah, and, and now he gets to, you know, sometimes, you know, no joke, literally wandering the halls at Temple University Hospital and finding stories. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, sometimes the most ordinary person has an amazing backstory. It's funny, you and I are both trained as journalists and anyone you know, out there who's ever taken a journalism class or a, a nonfiction class, you, you hear that everyone has a story, you know, everyone from the, your garbage collector to, you know, the president, everyone's got a story and, and Humans of New York is so popular now. And um, so you, you hear this over and over, but to actually see somebody and listen to somebody who not just believes that, but has spent 30 years demonstrating that, that it was incredible. Yeah, it's just from a journalistic perspective, but also just from a human. Like, really, he's right. Everyone does have a story. Yeah, and you know, a whole you'll hear about the the whole second half of his uh, his job here at Temple is to not only go and find stories and write about them, but to also work with the medical students and the doctors here at Temple to help encourage them to tell their stories, mm-hmm. write about their experience, share it with the world. Um, you know, with the goal of nothing less than turning out better doctors. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out, you know, um, how the job he does affects these people five, 10, 20 years down the line. Yeah, we were talking on the way here. What if in in 10 years, your your cardiologist is trained (laughs) to like, let let me tell you a story and and they tell you something or they give you some little nugget that really sticks with you like is that what medicine is going to be now and then at that point i'll say do you know mike vitez (laughs) (laughs) so i hope you enjoy this it it was definitely a different uh interview for us but definitely one i think worth hearing so here's mike vitez director of narrative medicine (laughs) at the lewis katz school of medicine goes on mystifies me actually so it's good you know but that's okay you know I, I i understand 
Are we, we, are we going or are we just we're, kidding? We're going, so. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know we were actually oh, no, no, I mean, we can started. We can officially start. But, okay. Um, so, uh, you know what I want to actually start with? Great. You're a storyteller. Yes. Tell me your favorite healthcare story. Put me on the spot. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, well, so I guess I'll answer that by saying my favorite healthcare story that I have written. Yes. And um, there are really two that come to mind. Now I'm going to pick one. Mm-hmm. I guess the one that I'm going to choose is, is one where I think I've had the, the story had the most impact. And it is on a young man who was, his name is Jordan Burnham. I don't know if you remember this story. He was a senior in high school at Upper Dublin High School. And he had, in most ways, life was on the outside, perfect for him. He had been elected to the homecoming court. He was a, a varsity golfer, a varsity baseball player. He did the morning announcements at the school. He was, you know, he, he was a very popular, happy kid. And his family actually, believe it or not, out in King of Prussia, they have a nine-story apartment building, and his parents lived on the top floor. His father was the athletic director at the high school. And one evening, he went out the window. He jumped and fell nine floors, and he survived. And somebody called me and told me about this. And my initial reaction was, this guy went nine floors, and he lived. What an amazing story. I should tell the story. And I contacted the family, and families, you know, long story short here, they, they agreed to let me into his life. He was in a coma for several weeks, and... I was there at his bedside when he woke up and I followed him through the whole recovery. And the, the story is, well, he suffered obviously from depression that nobody really Hmm. knew. And he was suicidal and nobody really understood. He was African, is African American and the high school was largely white. And that played into it somehow. But there were a lot of issues involved, but the fact is the reason the story was so, amazing was the trust the family gave me the things I saw at the bedside and his recovery were amazing Um, and the story that I wrote which ran on the front page of the Inquirer really gave meaning to his tragedy you know he it once I wrote my story his phone didn't stop ringing the whole world called him and wanted him to come talk about teen depression, about suicide, about being a minority. And so what was just a plain, awful, awful tragedy became something incredibly useful and powerful. He honestly went to Congress. He went to, I have a picture of him at the UN sitting beside (laughs) the, the secretary general talking about, you know, worldwide depression and all that. So it was really showed me on so many levels, the power of a great story mm-hmm. and what it can do. Change. How long his, ago was that? How, how 08, 09. He's, he's still doing a lot of, I think he's 26, 27, getting married now, still doing a lot of talks around the country um, about depression and suicide, it tells his story. And um, I stay, I keep in you know, fairly good touch with them. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of many, but it was, there were a lot of challenges in writing the story. Um, but when you ask my favorite healthcare story, it's one, it's one of my favorites. Is there a second? Well, the second is about Crystal Brown, who lives very near where we sit. And again, um, 
it's like right out of Faulkner. So here's <laughs> here's the backstory. You know, I am just doing. I don't know that it's technically a medical story, but it's just a great story. And a, I've learned a great story is a great story and crosses all kinds of definitions and boundaries. And there is a medical component to it. So I'm going to call it a medical story. Cool. But Crystal um, is in Strawberry Mansion. And she, her single mother, her older two children who were teens, like 13, 15, were disabled. And she was trying to get a van so she could drive them around. And her kids went to St. Martin de Porres School, which is at 23rd in Lehigh. And the priest there who runs the school and the church contacted me. And he was looking to some thinking that maybe if I did a story about this woman, somebody would donate a van or money to help her buy a van. Mm-hmm. And it was the holidays. And newspapers, you know, are always looking for holiday stories. And I thought... You know, well, I'll go talk to her. It won't hurt. Who knows? Do you, you ever know? approach a story like that and go, mm-hmm. oh, I, oh I, I don't, you know, I don't think of stories like I wasn't out to write a holiday story. I thought, hey, the, I can write a sweet story maybe, you know, and it was as far as it went. And yeah, I, I, all, I always believe I can find a great story. Okay. I honestly believe that we could go out to Broad Street right now, and I'll come back to Crystal, and you could pick somebody out there, and I could stop them, and I could find a great story that could run on the front page of the paper tomorrow or could run anywhere. I believe that everybody has a great story to tell and so much of it is what you, the storyteller, bring to it. I really mm-hmm. believe that. And so I went up there to see Crystal thinking, you know, maybe there's a, I'm sure there's a good story. I can write a story about it. I'm going to get someone to raise money to buy her a van. That's not my job. I don't think about it. I just thought, you know, here's a woman in need and I'll try to tell her story and maybe there'll be something good that can come of it. Anyway, I sit down in her home in Strawberry Mansion, um, Section 8 apartment, and I ask her, so why are your kids disabled? She had never told the story to anyone. The story is, as I said, right out of Faulkner. She had been abused by her father and had children by her father, had not one, but two. And her mother didn't believe her. And it was honestly, and she didn't really know that this is what all fathers do until she was in ninth grade English and read the color purple and went, oh my God, you know, I'm Seely. This is me. And this whole journey began. And no, even when she told her mother that that her father had done this to her mother wouldn't, you know, it was really complex. Her mother really wouldn't believe her. And at one point, she, on her own, went to court. And it was actually a doctor who told her. The doctor didn't even know the story, but the doctor said, whoever the father is, you should get the father to pay child support for your kids. You need it. And her father ran a little business in North Philadelphia and so on her own, she went to court and tried to get her own father to pay child support. And the, he denied, of course, that he was the father of her children. Um, and the judge ordered DNA testing, everything, and the evidence was 99.999% that he is not only her father, but their father. She had never really told her kids the whole story. It's, it's all, I spent three hours in her living room and I was it's not what you expected. And I, I was like unbelievable. And it was a really challenging. It was the hardest story for me to ever get that in the paper. It was a really hard thing for the 
newspaper to deal with, you know, incest and, yeah. and how are we going to do this? And how am I going to tell this fairly and delicately and sensitively and all that? And ended up being a, um, an incredibly powerful story. I, I think about what Crystal could do with her life if she'd, you know, had, you know, a, a much more support in life and a much better, uh, out, you know, starting point. She's so incredibly strong and smart. Anyway, I ran a Sunday magazine story about her, and it was uh, an incredible story. And she, yeah, <laughs> and she just sent me a uh, email a little while ago, or a note on Facebook, or whatever, and said it's been ten years. You know, thanks for a change. You know, changing the world, changing my world, because that story gave her credibility. It gave her integrity. It sort of like was hers. Um, changed her. Gave mm -hmm. her real. Faith in herself. Um, everybody thought she was crazy would now realize that she wasn't crazy and that opened a lot of doors for her. And she's still out there fighting really hard, advocating for her kids and trying to be a good mother and wow. all that. But how, how did the stories affect you? You know, both of those stories changed the life of the, the person in the story. I mean, dramatically. Yeah. That's I mean, a, do you kind of move on easily or does it somehow leave a little something i am not a really introspective person and so i don't know that i have i know that you know i did pour myself into my stories and my goal is to is to write is to give the reader a gift and give the person i'm writing about a gift and get it just right you know hit it just right the story and so i invest all i have in it and often i'm totally um spent when i'm done mm -hmm. but you know, there's always another story to do. And so I I don't really think about it. I think I draw a lot of satisfaction knowing I gave it my best. Yeah. And, you know, I newspaper is an up and down life. I can take a – not that I think about it, but, you know, I can screw off for a day or two if I'm really wiped and, and you know, um, and recover. But I don't, I don't really – think a lot about how does that affect me? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more concerned about how it's going to affect the reader and how it's going to affect the person I'm writing about. Now, the healthcare, you wouldn't say you're a healthcare feature writer or a healthcare story, but yeah. I've noticed some of your most impactful things have right. been about healthcare. How did, do you think of yourself as healthcare specialty or? No. It just, no. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a generalist. You know, I'm a storyteller and um, I just love to immerse myself in people's lives and tell their stories. I got into healthcare entirely by accident or serendipity. Mm -hmm. The I was in Michigan on a newspaper fellowship. I would say it was the greatest single year of my adult life. There's this, there are a few newspaper fellowships out there. One at Harvard, one at Stanford, one at Michigan, and you get you apply, and if you they're like mid career fellowships and if you get accepted you get the keys to the university and a year off and they give you a stipend which is roughly equal to your newspaper salary which is you know nothing special <laughs> and you go there for a year and you can take whatever classes you want and do whatever you want and there's no grades no obligations or requirements it's mm -hmm. a year to reinvent yourself and I went to Michigan had a fabulous year studied storytelling wrote fiction wrote a screenplay came back a year later and won and won the Pulitzer a year after I was back and I give the fellowship a lot of credit for that. Anyway, while I was there, they asked me, what are you going to do when you come back to the paper? You know, it's, you're coming back soon. What are you going to do? And I 
And they said, I had some ideas. I said, we want you to cover the aging beat. Mm-hmm. And I asked all my colleagues, what do you think? And everybody said, aging, old people, forget <laughs> it. Why would you do that? No way. And I thought, that's all the reason to do it, because what every writer wants is freedom. I figured no one would know what that beat is. No one would know uh, what I'd be doing. It was Everybody said, don't do it. Um, so I told the editors, yes. I said, but I'm going to define aging as anything that involves the passage of time. And to prove that I'm going to do my first story on the quest to grow the first thousand pound pumpkin, because it grows from <laughs> zero to a thousand pounds in 70 days. And it really does. It grows from the size of an acorn to the size of a washing machine. In, in, uh, so I did it. It was, it was a really fun story. But then I um, uh, got into things like long-term care and end of life. And I won the Pulitzer for stories on end of life. And I realized it's a family, you know, it's a multi-generational beat. Anything is an aging story. Mm-hmm. There were so many great stories to write. Um, yeah, oftentimes it's the aging affects the family. Right, totally. The person aging. Totally, totally, totally. And um, very much a multi-generational beat. And you could do anything with it. You could write about demographics. You could write about, um, you know, uh, sweet stories about old people who do incredible things. You could write about relationships between grandparents and grandchildren. Whatever you – it was really anything you wanted to do. I, I could – I can find you – I had a great time with it. But a lot of the stories – took me into the healthcare arena because, you know, a lot of them are medical related and Mm -hmm. there's great drama at the bedside. There is, you know, everything gets real at the bedside. It's no, no bullshit. And, um, I just found great stories there. So I didn't do it exclusively, but I often would come back to immersing myself in somebody's life, you know, was, um, healthcare related kind of stories, whether it was hospice or long-term care or, um, decision making. Just I could give you many, many examples. Of well, some of the I've always I've been in healthcare, right? And I did an internship at a healthcare place, and somebody said, "So, what do you want to do now?" I said, "I know what I don't want to do: healthcare." Right, <laughs> right. But then I got my first job at a little hospital. And I can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, it really sucks you in. You're right. Everybody cares about it. There's always something to talk about. There's nothing more dramatic than somebody's health. Um, yeah, you know, I don't. I, actually, I can't imagine working for. <clears throat> No, it's funny. I actually, you know, don't even like the words healthcare. Yeah. I, I mean, hospitals, doctors, nurses, patients, you know, and the, the stories. And so, what you could do is you can, in the telling of somebody's story, um, and I'm working on a really great one right now. Actually, there's every room in that hospital That's has cool. amazing, amazing yeah. stories, incredible. And so you can do it a really narrow little story about uh, the, a little narrative about something happening in in the uh, with this patient in that room or you can often use their story to illustrate a great national and important trend and you know healthcare affects healthcare i use that word um <laughs> so many of us in america are affected by issues of insurance and coverage and access to, to doctors and treatments there's just so many layers and so many opportunities and it affects us in so many ways that there's just great um it's so fertile you so know, have such you always a fertile... been a storyteller i mean did you grow up uh, would your family say oh mike always told stories or you know i recently did when i left the newspaper and before i came to temple mm-hmm. i did a book the inquirer let me do 
take 30 of my favorite stories and put them in a book. And I added some personal stories of my own. I really thought about that very question. And I put some stories in there about, you know, why did I choose this field? Why am I a storyteller? And I think that um, when I think about it, that I grew up as part of an incredible story of my parents who were immigrants and what they went through. And it, I just, I had great reverence for their story and and just the stories of everyday people. And so I've always loved it. Now, why, I, I think I initially went into journalism or into newspapers in high school and in college because I sort of felt like an outsider in a lot of ways in life. And newspaper staffs are filled with outsiders and eccentric, crazy people. And I always felt at home. Mm -hmm. And I also love the access being in a newspaper gave me anything I wanted to write about, anybody I wanted to meet, anything I was interested in, I could just go oh, do. And I maybe I was also liked the fact that you didn't have to commit to any position or anything in a newspaper. You know, you have this uh, neutrality, you know, you're going to be fair and neutral and even and not take a position. And maybe I was hiding behind having to take a stand on things. I work for the paper. I'm, I'm going to be fair and, and neutral and not take a position on things. But the more I did journalism and explored with all the different kind of beats, cops, courts, investigative, politics, sports, you name it, I did them all. I loved most immersing myself in somebody's life and telling their story and trying to sort of give dignity to that journey and celebrate that journey. And whether I did it in a, an afternoon in a daily story that was short or whether I spent six months or three months on a long story, the attitude and technique was the same. Um, you know, with healthcare, I always find it interesting. People used to ask me, how do you get people, because I was always on the PR side. Right, right. How do you get people to do interviews? Why do these people do these interviews? They, they're talking about the most personal things sometimes. And I said, surprisingly, it's not that hard. Do you find that? Like people want to talk about it. It's a great question. I think that, you know, I, I have immersed myself in the lives of people at the most amazing and sensitive moments. I've been really lucky. Like the family I told you about, Jordan, you know, he's coming out of a coma. He can't speak. His parents don't know why he jumped. They don't really understand. And here I am. And they trust me and they let me in. Yeah. And I think that um, it's really a matter of sincerity and being genuine. And I believe that if I go up to you and I say to you, I want to tell your story and I want and, and, and you really believe that I don't have any agenda, that I'm sincere and I'm genuine and really I'm excited. All I really want to do is tell your story. You will be much more likely to trust me and let me in to tell it. If you think that I'm bored or this is a job or I have some agenda and I want to use you to promote and further my agenda, mm -hmm. you get turned off right away. Yeah. But if you really think that this guy really wants to hear my story. Well, people you, want to tell their story. They do. If they believe that you're genuine and that you really want to hear it. And they do. And I think also that trust grows. The more they interact with you and they see that you have integrity and they see that you're being fair and they, that you're being sensitive, they'll trust you more and more. And, you know, I, I do think that that you're right. People generally do want to tell their story. Well, it's funny. I have a story for you. Great. That illustrates that. So uh, I guess it's 17 years ago, mm -hmm. um, our first child died oh. and bizarrely hit by a tree limb. How old was he? Uh, 15 months. He was 15 months. And we were approached maybe a month later by Dan Rubin at the Inquirer 
and it was the same sort of thing. He says, I'd like to tell your story. Now, I don't even remember how. I, rem I, uh, yeah. I remember. And it's funny it, because totally 10 years did. later, I bumped into him and I said, Andy Smith, you told you know the story of my son. Bryce. I totally remember this. And he instantaneously recited the lead. And he goes and he read it right back to me. And he knew exactly who. But that was what it was. He came in. He says, I just want to tell. And I found myself for the only time because I was always on the other side. Right. Won't you tell your story to help other people? Right. And if you're genuine, I would say 99% of the time they would say yes to me. And now I was on the other side and he was asking to tell our story. You know, I look back and I think, maybe I should have said no. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Well, how do you feel about it now? Um, I'm neutral at this really? point. I mean, I look back and I see, you know, maybe we were sort of in a vulnerable spot at that moment. Totally. And I said, yes, Totally. but it's interesting. We've become friends with a lot of people who have lost right. their child. And um, you want to tell that story because the worst thing is, um, you know, that your child will be forgotten. Right. So that's kind of why we did it. We wanted to tell the story. And because it was such a bizarre accident, I think people, no one ever said this, but why were you, why did he get hit by a tree limb? That seems funny. So we sort of wanted to tell the story about what actually happened. But yeah, I've been on the other side. <laughs> I think that's, that's a really interesting, um, I remember the story. You remember the story. I absolutely yeah. remember the story. I didn't know that till right now. <laughs> I do remember Dan's story about that. Front and got, page, right, got a big, big response yeah. too. So utterly sad. Um, I think that for a lot of the stories I have done, the um, the act of sharing that story mm -hmm. with me was as <laughs> cathartic and rewarding to people as the fact that it ran in the newspaper. Um, that the and this is actually what I try to tell the students, and I think they're discovering it. And I think if you were jumping around, if we talk about Naomi Rosenberg and the response she got to her piece that recently ran about uh, deaths in the emergency room, you know, just the act of telling it was so nourishing for her and satisfying for her that the fact that it went, you know, viral on the New York Times was like a bonus. But the really important thing with her was just sort of she told it, tell yeah. it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the stories I write the the process of sharing that story to a willing listener, an eager listener, is really nourishing and satisfying and healing for mm -hmm. people. And you are right. I think the most important thing you said that is so true is you were vulnerable. And there is a great risk of exploiting you. And it's really the journalist's job. And I take a lot of pride in the fact that, the most pride in the fact that these people trust me Mm -hmm. And the most satisfying thing to me is that I do not betray their trust. They yeah. feel like it was a really valuable and worthwhile thing they did. I gave a great account of their experience, and uh, it was it was healing all the way around. Um, but you are taking a big risk with yeah. like, trusting that person. Yeah. And um, I but I'm it made me realize that. for years before that I was the one asking them, "Will you do an interview with Channel Six? Will you do an interview with the Enquirer?" You know, I was the go-between. Right. And I was always amazed. 99% of the people would say yes. <laughs> well, I guess it would all depend. And I wonder, the thing is, I believe it's somewhat changing now. I think people are, even though with Facebook and Twitter and constant news and constant information and constant access and our lives out in the open all the time, everywhere, mm -hmm. privacy is almost gone, ironically, and I haven't really 
I don't know that I can explain it, but ironically, people are more private than ever and less willing <laughs> to share than ever and less accepting of the media now than ever before. Maybe they're more willing to share it themselves. They write it themselves. But I think it's less and less likely, less and less um, people are more and more reluctant to share their story. Yeah. Than so I want to talk before. about your job now, though. Great. Um, and you're still a writer. I am. That's only part of the job. Right. You're working with doctors, with students, medical students, things like that. To what? To teach them not how to write, but what is it? To share their stories? How? What are it, you hoping to accomplish? It is a great question, and I really, and thankfully, this is a podcast, and maybe we can take some time, because I don't have the elevator speech down yet, really. <laughs> it, you know, Dr. Kaiser here at Temple hired me and, and said, you know, build the program, we'll figure it out. And so I am figuring it out as I go. And I've sort of boiled it down to three real tracks. One is I am in the hospital and in a medical school to a degree, but mainly in the hospital telling stories. And my goal there is really to bring a sense of wonder, to focus on the, the humanity, the empathy, the compassion that goes on here every day. There are incredible stories over there, heartbreak, heroics. People are so busy. Uh, they, they forget just how incredible it is what they do and what goes on. So I'm just trying to remind them of these incredible things that happen here by telling the stories of, of patients and physicians. You know, they're just stories from the hospital. And I think that will really improve everyone's empathy and compassion and, and, and remind them about why they got into medicine and what is really rich and important about medicine, just the stories. Um, two is... The doctors, especially the young doctors and the doctors in training, under some under a lot of pressure. And I think they're they're experiencing things for the first time. They're feeling all this pressure. They don't have any time to sort of reflect and make sense of their world. And I think by getting them to stop and reflect and tell stories, they um, they are helped. They feel better. They relate to the world better. It's really valuable to them to take a moment to pause and process it in my writing. And I do think there's, for the reasons we've talked about, there's great interest in, in what they see and experience and, and do. Um, and so I think there's a great audience for what they write, mm -hmm. if they write it well. But I also think it's just really good for them. They get very lost in their studies and in their the pressure of their lives and in the pace of their lives that they don't stop. And I think it's really good to get them to do that. And a lot of them hunger for it. You know, some of them look at me and they go, you can't diagnose kidney disease. You can't teach me how to suture. You can't do anything for me. <laughs> Why would I want to spend time with you? They have so much to learn. I get yes. that. And I'm, I'm, I'm a humanities guy. But there are many who are really, really hungering to, to satisfy that part of their life and come to me and want to write. And so I'm working with them like writer editor, helping them write their stories. And, and some of them are terrible writers, but are really eager to learn how to mm -hmm. write and understand what's a good scene, what's a story, what's a narrative, how do I, how do, I do this? So uh, I'm working with them on the writing and also um, on, tell, on telling their stories. And it's been a great, and I'm teaching a couple of electives too, which has been really fun. Just trying to be a story engine. I just believe in stories so much. I think that you know, people... Um, learn how to listen and take time to to write stories and think about stories. It'll make them deal 
it'll help them in dealing with patients, you know, even with listening to a patient's story, well, that's what I was communicating back to a patient yeah. by telling a story, they'll understand better. Well, I, just, I was going to ask yeah, that. Yeah. So flash forward 10 right, years, right. these med students you're working with now, what do you think what you're doing, what's that doctor going to look like 10 years from now? Where do you hope? I hope that, that what I share with them is a love of people and a love of stories. And they're going to realize that to be really good doctors and satisfied doctors themselves, they've got to appreciate and understand and know their patient's stories. And so I hope that years down the road, they'll be taking that moment to really know their patient's story and they'll be celebrating that story. And maybe they'll be stopping. And after some crazy day, they'll even take a moment to write and reflect and that'll help them feel better about the terrible thing that had happened that day or the amazing. So it goes beyond the writing. Yes. You're hoping totally. they just become better I hope listeners, they, better yes. storytellers. Yes. And that'll improve the care that they're giving. Yes. And I think it'll improve their satisfaction. And I think that they'll, if they, it'll help them, they can get lost in just the volume and in the illness and in, and this will help them stay focused in terms of keeping their compassion and their empathy. I think by, always appreciating patients and their stories. Hmm. What stories have you found over here at Temple? So now I'm working on one, just pick one. And, <laughs> and uh, a young man, not a young man. And um, there's a guy who uh, had a difficult childhood and he left home at 16 and was joyriding in a stolen car at 18 and gets T-boned by a bread truck because they ran a red light. They were police were chasing them in a stolen car and he's in the back seat and he ends up paralyzed. He's a paraplegic and the girl next to him dies in mm. the accident. And his life was sort of spot, you know, got spirals really out of control after that. A friend of his at this point introduces him to heroin and so for the last 20 years, the guy's essentially been a heroin junkie, um, homeless, right. you know, living in cars, living with girlfriends, just bouncing around, living literally in his wheelchair on the streets in Kensington. And he is so bad and so messed up that this summer he has decubitus ulcers, you know, bed sores from sitting you know, and he's living in his chair 24-7 and he's got maggots and crawling around in his open wounds and other places. And his life is, you know, awful. And he realizes that even he has standards and he has to go, he goes to the ER to try to get help. And so he shows up in the emergency room and he goes through detox briefly. And then he's in the hospital, this incredible doctor um, and, the, and the nurses, they heal him. They give him hope. They, they not only help heal his wounds and give him a bed and give him attention and, and the nurses there, they don't treat him like a junkie, uh, heroin addict, homeless guy, but they treat him like a human mm -hmm. and have conversations with him and you, and watch the de debate in his room <laughs> with him. And, you know, he's, a, he's a really bright guy. Yeah. Um, and the doctor takes a real interest in him, brings him clothes and gets him uh, GED study guides and is thinking, you know, you can have a life. You can, and he dares to hope, like, maybe I can cut this. And that alone is a great story. But, you know, he let, he checked out, checked out. He was done the other day. He, he went to a nursing home the other day. He was, his, all he needs now are skilled care. Um, doesn't really need a hospital anymore. He just needs a, a 
little more time to let the wounds fully heal. But no nursing home wants to take a guy who came in as a heroin addict who, um, and who he, he, in the past he's been in a nursing home before and he checked himself out. So, you know, nobody wants to take a risk on a guy like that. Right. So they're really hard to find a place that he can go to. And the ending is Temple's given him this great gift, done this great amount of great work for him, helped him, healed him. But is he going to be back on the street tomorrow, you know? when he leaves the well, nursing no, no. home in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I, I, so I don't know how to end the story. Mm -hmm. You know, do I follow him? Do I just end it here? Uh, it's like, what a crazy system. You know, do you we, stay in touch with a lot of the people? Some, um, some, some, some yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I try to give the reader, I can't give them my friendship or the, the people I write about. Cause I write so many stories. I can't keep up with everybody, <laughs> but I, so I justify by saying I've given them the best I have which is the story. And some I absolutely do stay up with. And the way I would describe it is it's like you have old college friends that you don't see very often, but the minute you see them, it's right. You're right back mm -hmm. with them. So just like you were with Dan Rubin, yeah, yeah. you know, you have that bond that you forged with him by sharing that intimate part of your life with him, even if it was for a day or an hour. And so when I do see them or encounter people I've written about, we go right back. Um, but I can't keep up with everybody. And so this, this is just one story I'm working about this guy who came in and, I don't know where I'm going to end the story yet, but I, you know, just there are amazing stories in every room in that hospital. Um, for people listening to this, I mean, not a lot of people are writers. Right. They'll say, I'm not a writer. I've right. never written. What would people take away from this? I mean, it, it's interesting what you said about going out on Broad Street and finding a story. You know, my first job in a little tiny hospital, mm -hmm. I was assigned, I had to write the employee of the month stories. All right. And traditionally they had been, you know, Jane Doe is an accountant in the accounting department. She has been here for 20 years. Right. She likes cake and spending time with her grandchildren. And I thought, you know, I, I want to tell more of a story about why they're the employee of the month. And the one that always sticks in my head is I sat down with this woman. I forget her job. It was going awful. She had nothing interesting to say right. at all. And I don't know how you overcome that, but... <laughs> And I happened to notice that she had only been with the hospital maybe five years, right. but she was older. I said, what did you do before you came to the hospital? She says, oh, I was a bus driver for 30 years. She just opened up about story after story about being a bus driver. And somehow I was able to relate that to what she did in the hospital. But as you said, it just shows you everybody has a story. The secret I try to find is I try to write about passionate people and the best is to do it to do things with them to do to be with them when they are doing what they're passionate about so the nurse is a fabulous nurse and loves nursing hang with her for a day and watch her you know observe and so the best stories are seeing people who are who have passion and in the act of doing what it is they love to do and or talk about if you can't be there have her talk about what she loved and yeah. a good writer will find that about somebody and everybody has something they're really well, passionate you, about yeah i bet you most people think oh he must be a really great uh, great questioner but i bet you spend more time listening to them right totally totally for that dale carnegie uh... well right you know i stumble and i bumble i mean and look at me in this podcast i probably go on too long <laughs> But generally, I think Emily will cut that. <laughs> generally, I think that if you are just really um, interested and, and 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 tuned in, you can direct a conversation to something that is really valuable. And I believe writing is 
85% heart. I think it's just, you know, um, loving what you do, loving your story. You know, the mechanics are important and you can work on it and you can improve it. But, but um, I try to tell these med students, it doesn't really matter. Look at what you're experiencing and seeing. We can, I can help you cut it and I can help you revise it and I, and I can, but you know, you're you're experiencing it. You're seeing it. There's yeah. incredible material there. And if it, if it's try if it's coming out of your fingertips, if there's something you really <laughs> feel, something you've seen that really disturbed you or upset you or inspired you, get it down. You don't the worry thing, about though, the mechanics. You're not just helping them. I mean, the way I view it is, if they get something out of them, like that ER doc, right, who wrote the story about her, right, about telling a mother that her child, you're helping everyone who's reading it too. So if, if these med students can make the outside public understand how a doctor is trained, what their feelings are, one of you're the, benefiting one of, society. One of the fourth-year fourth med students came to me today and said, I want to write about, uh, I want to write a piece about, as a medical student, experiencing death. He hmm. said, you know, I remember, I mean, it starts really with the cadaver in, in Anatomy 101, but then as you start doing your rotations in the hospital and you see your first person die and then you know you see lots of people die and, and when you're on the different specialties you see them die in different ways and I've really evolved in sort of my outlook on death how I see death what I've experienced and I want to explore that and write something about that and so he's you know we talked about it and he's going to try to write something and I think I think it's going to be really valuable for him to talk about you know his own experience with death and encounter and evolution um, but I think the outside world, if he does it well, and he's a good writer, and he, people will be really interesting. What, how does a young doctor go from being like us, just coming in, oh, yeah. to where he is, you know, going to be an emergency room doctor and deal with it all the time? And sort of yeah. how how has he evolved and how has he changed? And I, I think I will help him. He has to have the feeling in there, and I think he's got it. I can help him express it better. Um, and I think it can be incredibly valuable for him and. And elucidating, enlightening, you know, you know, good writing, good stories build community. If we all read that story, we will all feel connected to this guy. We'll understand his world better. Yeah, and that's what this, great storytelling does. Yeah, it reminds me of this guy who called 15, 20 years ago. I followed around a fourth-year med student for a day. And I did a day in the life of a fourth-year med student. Right. I was um, steal your so idea. open about it. And I, I still remember my favorite part. He says, you know... I'm a med student now, overseen. When I graduate and I go to my residency, when I write a script, that nurse will deliver that drug because I wrote that script. Right. And he says, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't afraid. <laughs> it was very human. Um, he was afraid. You know, I, to... I, I am going to be writing things and making decisions about people's health. One of the things I have not been very successful with, but one of the ideas I had was to try to get the interns, the first year residents, to, to write, to <laughs> chronicle their year, because that is the big, that is their most important Defining. year of their lives. That's yeah. where they go from being students to really on the front line and 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 giving out that drug and and they go from being scared shitless, totally terrified, to a year later, you know, they're you know, they're battle tested and they're, they grow so much. And I thought it'd be really fabulous to get them to write, you know, tell me a story after 
three or four weeks after you know, and then after three or four months, and then inter- intermittently throughout yeah. the year, and they're just so busy. And I was so new the summer <laughs> I just gotten here that I didn't get a lot of buy-in. I'm really hoping that I know a lot of the fourth years now, and that maybe I can get them this summer when they start there, especially the ones who stay at Temple as for their residency, and and get them to write and then try to pull something together which chronicles their year because I, I think that's there's more growth. The best part of this fourth year med student, right. I ran into him like know, 10 years ago. I forget where. I said, day in the life of a fourth year med student. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah. It's... I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm a cardiologist at Abington. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so he made it. He um, did. He but, did. you know, he was afraid. Uh, well, they all are. They yeah. all are. They're totally <laughs> terrified. Just like then they get in here, they're all totally terrified. They're going to not know all the the cardiovascular stuff they have to learn in their second year cardiovascular block. And they're going to, you're not, you know, and they're going to fail because there's just so much material. And it's such a, it's such a incredible um, experience, you know, so much to know and learn. Let's end with one more story. Sure. Do you have any other um, healthcare related that just still stick with you? Okay. Uh, one more that I'll just tell you that I love is a short one. And I guess I heard from a guy the other day. So I did this 20 odd years ago. I went, I, I need to be briefer, but Emily cut me, <laughs> cut this down if I get too long. So somebody runs a nursing home, Saunders house out in Lancaster or like uh, on Lancaster Avenue in where that is Marion or Ballington would invited me out. And I can't even remember why she invited me out. Somebody in marketing wanted to show me something and we're, I don't know why. I even went, I can't remember. We're walking down the hall and she goes, hi, Jim, to this guy, who older man who walks by. And I go, who's he? And she goes, oh, that's uh, Jim Way. He comes every day and feeds his wife. I'm like, comes every day and feeds his wife? And she goes, yeah, he, uh, she has Alzheimer's and he took care of her at home for years. And then when he couldn't take care of her anymore, he's, he comes here and he used to come, he comes every morning, every lunch and every dinner and feeds her. And Instantaneously, you're going. I'm thinking like, wow, you know, this is way more interesting than whatever you were going to talk to me about. I what a story, and I should. What is fidelity? What is love? If not a man, and you know, she doesn't. So I, well, I followed him for. I came in with him, and I went through lunch with him, and then he leaves, and I just do a, a tight little narrative about Jim Way coming to feed his wife, and he picks her up in the beauty salon. She has no idea who she who he is. She's She's staring off in the middle distance to you and me. She's all blotchy and 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 blank and um, lost and gone. But to him, he still sees the you know 21 year old librarian he met during World War II. Mm. You know when he was stationed in London. And as he said, as he said to me, I went in to borrow a book, and instead I borrowed the librarian. And <laughs> you know, and they had this incredible love story. They raised his family, this great life, and he still sees this woman and he's so, and he's, you know, she can't eat. He's feeding it. It's dripping down her face and he's spooning it back in and he's so loving and devoted. And it was just, you know, it was very genuine thing to see. And so I just did it you know, really short, probably 700 words, 600 words, very tight story about this man going to feed his wife. You know, he, he comes in and the end of the story is you how he just zips up his jacket and goes home. It's just a, and, uh, I got an enormous reaction from the world. You know, it's so, there was no news in this story. It was just a story about a day in a life. There was no, 
news peg. It was just, you know, he, he literally yesterday he went to feed his wife. And yet the world was starving for this story and loved the story because of what it affirmed and what it said about human nature and about dedication and love and fidelity and all that. And and so somebody, this story was over 20 years ago, and some journalist in Hawaii tracked me down at Temple the other day and sends me an email and said, I retired from newspaper after 40 years i'm teaching at the university of hawaii i'm going to be teaching feature writing and i wanted you to know that your story you wrote in 1980 whatever on this guy is is a story i'm is going to be the first story i teach and it was like you know That's i mean cool. it was kind of cool right it was nice but i think about that guy and um i included him in that story of my the book i did of my favorite stories from the inquire because it was simple and short but it was you know stories are out there was, you know, it was a, a fundamental, simple thing. And um, yeah, so you asked for a story. That's just one. Well, thanks a lot. Sure. Uh, we've been with Mike Vitez, Director of Narrative Medicine at the Lewis Katz School of Medicine. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, Andy. Can you take out all the slow, long-winded? <laughs> I should probably be a lot more concise, but I'm not really. I get round up. Thanks for listening to this episode of Off the Charts, stories from people who make medicine work. If you like this episode and you want to help us out, please subscribe or rate or review the podcast, which will help other people find us. The podcast is currently available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and our website, which is offthechartspodcast.com. To get in touch with us, just email offthechartspodcast at gmail.com, or you can shoot us a message over on our Facebook page. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more episodes from Off the Charts.